the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Bill on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face. I stay at home. Shelter in place. Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six And the BBC I 
everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program, and my guest this hour is Emeritus Professor of Environmental and Occupational Health Services at the University of Washington School of Public Health. He uh, is the co-editor of a book, a new book called Planetary Health, Protecting Nature to Protect Ourselves, edited by Samuel Myers and Howard Frumkin. And it's Howard Frumkin who joins me now by phone. Howard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. And I will uh, mention that, that the fact that you are both an MD and a doctor of philosophy as well? It's a doctorate in public health. So oh, okay. I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a physician and also an epidemiologist. An epidemiologist is something nobody ever heard of until COVID-19, and now suddenly people <laughs> yeah. know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you're, now you're superstars. Um, but I, I mentioned that the book was uh, edited and, and that you're a co-editor along with Samuel Myers from uh, Harvard, I believe. And right. that's, that's a little awkward for me because normally I talk to someone who has authored a book. And this is a little different because it's a collection of articles by a number of different um uh, leaders in the in the field of planetary health. Well, that's right, and we had to do it that way because planetary health is such a broad field that nobody can be expert in all of it, from food systems to land conservation to transportation and urban planning. So many things go into keeping our planet both sustainable and healthy that we wanted to get the best minds out there. So we uh, that's why we did it as an edited book. Now, that said, we were heavy-handed editors, so uh, each of the authors in the book kind of stuck to the same sets of themes, and we tried to get all the writing to be fairly consistent so uh, a person can actually sit and read through the book. <laughs> That's It's tough when you pull together a lot of different contributors to try and see if you can't work it out to be one voice. Um but but about the enough about the form let's let's talk about some of the substance the um you talk about planetary health and in one review of the book i i saw the phrase new paradigm um what do what do you think the new paradigm is with regard to planetary health well you know tom for for many years 
you would either be a biomedical or health person or you would be an environmental person, but not too many people did both. This new paradigm proposes that we can't have healthy people without a healthy planet. In fact, uh, the things we've been doing to our planet are increasingly destructive enough that they account for a bigger and bigger proportion of human suffering. So we need to think uh, in an absolutely conjoined way about uh, saving the planet and caring for people. And that's what planetary health is all about. You know, a lot of people hear the phrase planetary health, and they think uh, immediately their mind goes to climate change and and then to rising temperatures. And people uh, tend to think very sim- simplistically, and I've entertained the same notions, isn't, isn't it just going to end up with people becoming somewhat nomadic and just moving to where it's not quite so hot? Well, there may be some of that, but planetary health goes way beyond climate change. Even if we didn't have any climate change, we would still need a field of planetary health because of all the other changes going on in our planet that have implications for our health. You're talking about water pollution and uh, toxic chemicals uh, leaching into the ground and groundwaters and, and other forms of potential contaminants. Right. So what are the ways in which we're changing our planet? Well, the planet is chemically different than it was in our grandparents' day because we've created lots of persistent molecules that didn't exist before, and we've put them into the environment, so they're pretty much ubiquitous now. We've changed the uh, life cycles for the planet of nitrogen and phosphorus. Those are two elements that we use in fertilizers and for other things. And they, this, the way they cycle in the environment has completely changed. We've lost thousands of species. We're losing biodiversity, which is a natural feature of the planet. So lots of things are changing. Of course, they all interact with each other in very complicated systems ways. So understanding what the implications of those are for human health and then figuring out how we protect our health is, is key. That's one of the big challenges of upcoming centuries. Howard, I want to talk about that loss of species for just a moment, because um, how, how is the loss of species directly related to our own, you know, to protecting ourselves? How is it not just simply a, a form of natural selection? Well, let me give you three examples. Okay. One is pollinators. A lot of the crops that we grow that feed ourselves uh, or that feed the animals that we eat depend on pollination. Pollination takes place by bees and by other insects and other animals. Well, as we lose those species, we lose the ability to pollinate our crops, and that threatens agricultural output. So already what we're seeing is with bee populations suffering in various parts of the world, uh, farmers have to hire commercial uh, bee enterprises who drive in and supply the pollination services for a while and then move on. But if natural pollination declines, that's a real problem for feeding a hungry population. Second is fish. We are losing vast numbers of fisheries. We're, we're fishing most of the world's fisheries at or above capacity. And if we lose the fish that those fisheries provide, that's a nutritional threat to the billion or so people who depend on fish as their major source of protein in their diets. 
And a third example is the plants in forests that are very rich sources of pharmaceutical knowledge and of pharmaceuticals. As the plant diversity declines, there goes one of the big promising sources of new medications to treat illnesses over time. So really, in many ways, we as humans depend on the diversity of life on the planet. And it's not good for us when, when we uh, minimize that life. We've been dealing with a lot of uh, strange things this year. Um, or Not strange, but unusual uh, things that don't happen all the time. Um, I've I've heard people start referring to this year as having been 2020'd, um, but between <laughs> hurricanes and the fires out west, the pandemic, um, and and not all of these things are related necessarily to climate change, the pandemic, for example. Um, but to what degree are these things showing us that that maybe the planet is not so healthy. I, I really think a lot of these events can be taken as as uh, warning bells that we're hearing from the planet. So the first couple of uh, calamities you mentioned this year, the fires and the hurricanes, are exactly what are predicted from climate change, and and we're not surprised that those are happening at a greater and greater frequency, and we'll see more of that in coming years. The pandemic is more complicated. That we don't want to blame on climate change. But the rise of pandemics has been very precisely predicted for years now. And this is no surprise either. Here are some of the conditions that give rise to pandemics. We've got a very large human population, well over 7 billion people. We live crowded together in urban centers that are growing. Urbanization is is increasing at a rapid rate. We have a food system that's dysfunctional in many ways. Two examples are especially relevant. One is the, the trade in uh, wild uh, animals for food in wet markets in parts of Asia and Africa. And the other equally worrisome is the industrial agriculture that we've got where vast numbers of animals, both uh, cattle and swine and, and, um, and poultry, are grown in factory situations, essentially slums. In all of these situations, germs can move rapidly from the animal populations where they reside into human populations, and they can change as they do that jumping. Then we've got globalization, where we travel around the world rapidly, so a germ that emerges in one place can rapidly get a foothold in another place and spread globally. So we saw all of that happening with covid and the solutions won't so much be the climate solutions, although they'll overlap. Solutions will have to do with land conservation, ecosystem conservation, uh, less human incursion into animal ecosystems, and reforming our food system, as well as, of course, some basic public health solutions like uh, good epidemiology and contact tracing and so on, so that we can control future pandemics. More on planetary health with Dr. Howard Frumkin, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. 
you can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information... Visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More on planetary health with Dr. Howard Frumkin straight ahead. One of the things about the, uh, about the pandemic here in the U.S. 
has been um, this this whole notion about you know the president downplaying the severity of the of the pandemic and some people uh, not really trusting um, not only the the president but but anybody in any kind of authority, including uh, uh, medical experts. Um, this this lack of trust. How do we how do we know what information to trust? Um, how do we get people back with the idea that that scientific uh, research and and the conclusions that come from that are valid? Boy, that's a tough challenge. I I think you're exactly right that that not knowing what's true and what's not true and not being able to trust authorities is very, very corrosive as we try to tackle a disaster like COVID-19. So part of the answer, I think, is that good science has to be communicated well by trusted sources. So we've seen um, the likes of Dr. Fauci as an excellent communicator. Governments should not stand in the way of that kind of thing. In fact, some of the most successful governments around the world are the governments that put their scientists forward as communicators about COVID rather than their politicians. Another problem we've got is the rapid spread of conspiracy theories and disinformation on social media. So this is a, this is just a personal opinion, nothing more, but I think that we probably need to get a handle on our social media and shut down some of the disinformation that, circulates so widely. Uh, I understand there are important freedom of speech considerations, and it's a very delicate, nuanced thing to think about limiting what's out there. But it's very clear that the unbridled spread of conspiracy theories and disinformation uh, is hugely destructive. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's funny as you were talking about that. Um, you know, sure, freedom of speech is, is a real concern. And there are some real benefits to social media, and we've certainly benefited from it during the the pandemic with the ability for people to, you know, Zoom conference and, you know, have have Skype meetings with, you know, family and friends far away and some not so far away. Um, But I don't remember when the telephone first became a big thing the idea that people would call you up and lie to you. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of galling, isn't it? It, it, just seems, them, I, it, it just seems like a very strange problem to have. Well, uh, there are a lot of untruths that have circulated. COVID-19 is a great example, uh, claiming that certain medications are effective when they're not, claiming that the entire pandemic is a hoax, claiming that it was intentionally spread by laboratories. I mean, these are not true, and they undermine trust, and they dissuade people from taking the common sense precautions that we all ought to be taking. So that, to me, is no different than shouting a fire in a crowded theater. You just don't do that. It's dangerous and misleading, and it does all of us a disservice. I, I had the uh, the privilege of uh, talking with Carl Sagan's widow uh, a few weeks ago about her um, uh, re-energizing the, the Cosmos uh, TV 
series and in the new Cosmos book. And we were talking about in Carl, when Carl Sagan was alive, people just believed him. You know, he he had studied, he knew a little bit about what he was talking about, he communicated it well and in ways that were easy to understand. Are the people who have the best information often not the best communicators? Well, I think that's true sometimes. Scientists are notoriously bad sometimes at, at being communicators and speaking in plain language and explaining what they know. But this is a different era than when Carl Sagan was with us. Now we've got a huge amount of noise out there where, uh, thanks to the Internet, anybody who has an opinion can put it out there and disseminate it broadly. Uh, we we also used to believe our news commentators on the major news networks. Yeah. But now there are hundreds of channels. Uh, most people get their news from Facebook, which means that every Facebook user, in essence, has his or her own news feed, usually curated to consist of your friends and family with whose opinions you agree. So many people live in echo chambers where they hear the same things over and over again. And we've got news networks, and let me just name it, Fox is a great example that uh, that makes media stars of people who spread conspiracy theories and disinformation, in many cases funded by special interests. And we've got very good research now from the past couple of decades about the ways in which first the tobacco industry and then the fossil fuel industry have distorted public opinion and misrepresented the science to confuse people. So uh, it's not an accident that there is a lot of confusing and conflicted misinformation out there. Uh, too much of it's happening knowingly. And and I and, and I would big challenges is, and I would add to that, uh, Howard, that that I think uh, MSNBC and um, CNN and and other cable outlets, whether they're on the right or the left, are spreading a lot more opinion than news. I think that there is a, the line between uh, opinion and editorial comment and news is fuzzier than it ever was. And my wife is a journalist, and she's a stickler for journalistic ethics, so I, <laughs> I get an earful on this all the time. <laughs> but I, and I, I think that, you know, you're right. I would agree with you that there are problems on the left and on the right, but I don't think that they're symmetric. I, there's a lot more poison coming from Fox News than there is from CNN. Uh, and I, I base that not on my personal opinions, but on the fact-checking uh, institutions that are out there that actually do the fact-checking and, and disclose what we need to be careful about. I'm, I'm just personally, and, and now it's my turn, I, I don't do a lot of, I don't share a lot of my opinions usually, but I, I just see some writing that is um, in a variety of medias that are, supposed to be news sources that is um is is clearly slanted well uh i this is underlining the importance of having clear believable facts that we can um, base our decisions on people are entitled to their own opinions but they're not entitled to their own facts so the more we can <laughs> be fact-based in our discourse, the more scientists who understand uh, the ins and outs of 
things like COVID and climate change can have a hearing, the better. But we also have to recognize that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the real world. COVID is a new virus, and we don't know all of the ways in which it behaves. Climate change is quite well understood, but that doesn't mean we have all the details of how it's going to play out. So part of getting the facts is understanding the limits of our knowledge and grappling with uncertainty, and that's a part of reality. How, how frustrating was it? I noticed you uh, you added a preface to the book, um, which had been completed pre-pandemic, but, but edited and uh, and then finally published during the pandemic. I, I see that you and uh, and Sam Myers uh, added a preface to make reference to the pandemic. Was it a little frustrating that you got this book done and then this huge event happens that that wasn't part of the book? Oh, well, the frustration was that COVID happened because of all the suffering that it's caused to so many people around the world. Well, of course. The book was the least of the issues. <laughs> no, we, uh, we thought that it was actually quite an opportunity to illustrate how planetary health principles uh, act out in the real world. In in uh, in getting this this book put together, um, did you have a, a specific audience in mind? I mean, is this something that you hope will um, make it into the libraries of of legislators and and other policymakers, um, or or is this something really that explains to all of us what's going on around us? Well, we had several audiences in mind. One was students, college and uh, college level and graduate students, because typically if you're a student, you might major in biology or in health sciences or in the environment, but never fully get your arms around all the connections among them. So we wanted this to be used in classes where students could actually uh, get to learn about planetary health and and learn to think broadly and comprehensively about these challenges. But at the same time, we wrote for a general audience and we wrote for policymakers because we think it's so important that the public uh, tackle these issues and that policymakers make policies accordingly. Uh, The right policies, whether it be in the food system or in our energy system or our transportation system or in urban design, can protect the planet and also create Uh, health and well-being for people and and those are the policies we all need to be about uh, implementing how does how does economics fit into all this a lot of the things that could be done aren't done because it isn't deemed good for the bottom line no that's true and uh, one of the issues that we explored in the book is how we have to change our economic thinking so that uh, we think economically in ways that are fit for the 21st century and fit for a a planet under challenge. One of the fundamental mistakes we make is that we look at the GDP, the gross domestic product, or, or the closely affiliated gross national product, GNP. Those are our major indicators of economic success, economic progress. Well, GDP is not a very good measure of economic progress, and and it was never intended to be by the economists who developed it. It measures economic activity 
which reflects the throughput of energy and materials, but it doesn't measure anything having to do with human health and well-being, the things we really want to achieve. So if some chemical exposures make people sick and they have to go get medical care, and if that medical care entails producing medical supplies and equipment and paying doctor's salaries, that's good for the GDP. But none of us would have wanted people to get sick from chemical exposures. If a factory or a mine creates pollution and that pollution needs to get cleaned up, that's good for the GDP because it's economic activity, but it's not good for the planet or for people. So thinking about economics in ways that put human health and well-being and a sustainable planet at the center leads to different measures. Uh, that's a whole interesting set of challenges that, that we explore in the book. And then there's the other issue that uh, we have a lot of economic power concentrated in companies, many of which are not very conscientious about protecting health or the environment. So thinking about changing the incentives internalizing costs so that uh, those who do damage actually have to pay the price of that damage and would then be motivated not to do so much damage, that's a very useful approach as well. So that leads to things like taxing pollution, taxing carbon emissions, and uh, not taxing the things that are good, like income. Yeah, that's um, one of the things is people always talk about how well things are going on Wall Street and the stock market. And whenever I hear people saying, oh, the economy was just roaring before the, uh, uh, you know, before the pandemic. And I, I can't help thinking not in my neighborhood. Well, you know, the the complete disconnect between how the stock market's doing and how we as a nation are doing, how people are doing is pretty notable, isn't it? It kind of suggests that there's something a little wrong. How does, um, how can good planetary stewardship um, improve the health and welfare of, of people beyond, you know, having better foodstuffs and so on? How can it impact economic health and well-being? Well, let's first define what economic health is. And it, of course, most of us think of it as more money in our pockets, and, and that's uh, part of it. Or at least making but sure that there's enough to pay all the bills. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Uh, but also, there's having strong family links. There's having strong community. There's having a sense that we care for each other. There's having a sense that we can trust our government and trust the institutions that we care about. There's knowing that if you dial 911, the police will come and protect you. And if you go out on the street, there won't be too many potholes to wreck your, your car or your bicycle. It, it's um, All of those are ingredients of a good life. And, and I maintain those are indicators of a healthy economy. So you asked how... The principles of planetary health can help us get there. Well, one example is green space and uh, parks and wilderness. We need to protect those things. Those are good for the planet. They're good for the species that require them to live in. But they're also good for people. And we've seen during the COVID-19 pandemic how restorative 
people find it to be outside in a park or a green space and how people have craved going to those places, how much they missed them when parks were closed down. So a simple strategy like protecting parks and green space, re-envisioning our cities so everybody has access to green space within just a short distance of where they live, is good for people and good for the planet. And the same thing's true for transportation. If we move a little bit away from single occupancy internal combustion engine cars toward walking and cycling and using transit, then that reduces the carbon footprint. It reduces the amount of land we have to put into automobile infrastructure, and that allows us to reclaim that land for other uses like housing and parks. It cleans up the air in our cities. It gets us more physically active, which attacks the obesity epidemic. It reduces the toll of uh, mortality and morbidity from car crashes, one of the major killers of young people in the country. So here again, in the transportation world, we have these solutions that are joint solutions, good for the planet, good for people. And that's the kind of solution we need to be about uh, identifying and implementing. But a lot of those solutions uh, require um, a very different uh, set of, of or, or a very different kind of political will than what we currently see. And and these are big issues requiring big policies, but what can John Q. Public do to be more protective of nature and, and help contribute to planetary health? Well, each of us makes decisions every day in our lives about the kind of food we eat, the way we travel, the, the things we consume. And I think we can all be more mindful. So shifting a little bit from meat toward more plants in our diet is really good for the planet because producing meat has a very heavy footprint on land and water and climate change. Uh, Plant-based diets are healthier for us anyway. So how we eat, how we travel. You know, so many of our trips are short little trips of a mile or two that could easily be done on foot or by bicycle. So maybe don't jump in the car quite as often. And if you do, and if you can, maybe get a more fuel-efficient car or even an electric vehicle. Uh, the things we buy, a lot of us buy so many things that are disposable or buy more than we need. So cut back on that a little bit. But above all, I'd say those behavioral changes are good. We need to do them. But more important is system change, and that means that we have to vote and we have to encourage our elected representatives to do the right thing when it comes to changing our energy system and changing our transportation system. Uh, those are things bigger than any of us can do as individuals, but we sure can vote. And the timing on today's call is just great because with the election coming, it's a, a wake-up call to everybody to, to go ahead and vote and vote for candidates and then uh, prevail on our elected officials to tackle these challenges of, of uh, planetary health. Well, the name of the book is Planetary Health, Protecting Nature to Protect Ourselves. It's edited by Samuel Myers and my guest this hour, Howard Frumkin. And uh, Howard, um, we're just pretty much out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to start. But um, do you have a website, or is there a, rev a website that you would recommend that, that has links to uh, information that would help people learn more about this? 
Yes, there is. The one I'd recommend is called the Planetary Health Alliance. You can uh, search on those words, Planetary Health Alliance, and that'll come right up. It's a terrific one-stop shop for information on all of the dimensions of planetary health and further sources of information. Well, Howard, thanks so much for spending this time with me uh, today. Thanks very much. I've enjoyed it. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. My guest, uh, Dr. Howard Frumkin, is Emeritus Professor of Environment and Occupational Health Sciences at the University of Washington School of Public Health, where he was dean from 2010 to 16. He was uh, previously head of Our Planet, Our Health, at the Wellcome Trust and director of the National Center for Environmental Health and Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, He's written a number of books, and he and Samuel Myers from Harvard uh, edited this book, Planetary Health, Protecting Nature to Protect Ourselves. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. 
Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation... The Bickersons. What's what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potatoes? salad. I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find the meat for him. I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question. Only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. 
baggy. Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. In my Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Hey, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Of course, that was the... Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was Jonathan and Darlene. Well, I know it was them in the uh, in the Schlocktober pick today with that uh, horrible rendition of Staying Alive. Um, but uh, I, I'm not sure if... I, I know that's when I first had a fascination with bad recordings. But I'm not sure if that led to Schlocktober or William Shatner. I'm not I'm not sure. But uh, in any event, throughout the month of October, we have uh, a different featured uh, odd or horrible recording each day as part of Schlocktober. I want to say thanks to all my guests on the show today. Uh, Howard Frumkin, this last hour, talking about the book Planetary Health. And before that, we heard from uh, Jenny Stevens about uh, her book Diversifying Power. And uh, we also heard from, in the first hour of our three-hour tour, tour uh, Rosemary Day, former Deputy Director and Chief Operating Officer of the Massachusetts Health Connector and author of a new book, Marching Toward Coverage, How Women Can Lead the Fight for Universal Health Care. Anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. With that, we have uh, Smokin' George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to uh, head on down the hall to the uh, to the living room. But uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.